Before we dive into the podcast, I just wanted to jump on and let you know of a hot job here in Vancouver. I'm currently recruiting for a director of retail at a fashion brand here, the Lower Mainland. I'm looking for someone who's a strong operator, who loves the world of retail, who knows how to merch a store and get feet in off the street. This is for you. Drop us a line, steph at corkercompany.com. Now, over to the show. Welcome to Uncorked, another podcast brought to you by Team Corker. I'm so freaking honored to have Jeremy Powers on the podcast. Welcome to the show. Well, good. Thank you. It's nice to be on here. I love doing podcasts. I've done a lot of podcasts, so I should start calling myself Jeremy Podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I was about to call you. Busted. <laughs> well, you ruined it because you said that you have never said no to a podcast just before we hit record here. And... Well, I'm super grateful for your time, what I also know to be true is that you have become a lot more refined at what you say yes and no to. And so I'd love to dive into that. But before we go there, I'm going to make sure that all of the accolades and a proper introduction of your remarkable professional cycling career and what you're currently up to are in the show notes. And what we're committed to on this podcast is covering content that you might not always be able to find on Google. And after Googling a lot of you and after riding around Vancouver for nine hours with you, I think there's some interesting things that might not yet be on Google that we can riff on. So we only have 20 minutes and I want to make these 20 minutes count. Do you mind if we dive right into the life of you, Jer? Please. The one question that I did want to start this with is your proudest achievement or accomplishment because Wikipedia will tell us all of the things, but what is the Jeremy version of Wikipedia that you're like, if there was only one line beside my name on my Wikipedia page that I'm most proud of, it would read what? Well, uh, you know, the one thing that I feel like I overcame as a athlete, there's a lot of different directions I could take that on. But as an athlete, I really felt like my win at the 2012 National Championships was sort of my greatest accomplishment because I had had a lot of close calls. I had been second many, many times. I had gotten, uh, I had won very prestigious races. In fact, World Cups, all types of big events, but I had never been the national champion and I'd never been the national champion in the juniors or at the under 23 level, at any level. And so when I finally won my first title, it wasn't until I was 27 years old, which a lot of riders would look at as being sort of a failure. If you're 27 years old and you didn't win a national title, it would be like late almost. But I subsequently was able to win four more and a Pan American uh, jersey as well. And I think that winning that first title to me meant so much because I was able to finally get that off my back. I was carrying that around as like, well, he's good enough. He's experienced enough but he just can't execute on the day, you know? And to just that day, I came across the line, you know, crying. All of my family was there. I was able to do that on a national stage, on television. And to be able to just finally do that, put that whole day together with all the pressure from being an accomplished rider, but never winning that title, it took an immense amount of preparation mentally and physically. And it was something that just wasn't just a jersey to me. It was like a conquering of a, of a beast. Yeah. Conquering of a beast. And I mean, it's phenomenal. And I, it's not hard to find you winning 
that race, that photo is everywhere. And I think it's one of the best pictures of you on the internet. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, it was it was a really, really special day for me. And I'll, I, even if I watch the race this day, I will, I will either almost still cry or get goosebumps from watching it. And I don't watch it. I've watched it. I've probably watched it two or three times just because it brings back a ton of, of all the hardship that it took to get to that place. Yeah, no kidding. Amazing. And let's riff there for a minute. I am curious about what that win did for you from a career perspective and also from a personal perspective. Yeah, it launched my career. I mean, I was the first year I stepped away from like the premier program in the United States just before that it was Cannondale Cyclocross World. And I went to a team that was unknown, but there was a, a person at that company, Slate Olson, that called me up and said, hey, Jeremy, I really want you to ride for us. And I think that you would, I think we can do some great stuff together. And he was working for the company called Rafa, which is the clothing brand. And he was their North American general manager at the time. And uh, I took a step with him. I didn't know that it would lead to a national championship, but the new environment, the new professionalism, the different type of team culture, it really set me on a path towards the main part of my career as a rider. Before that, it almost feels like yeah, I was building and building and building. But at that moment, uh, that first year, there was so many things that started to become more clear to me and the professionalism of my own, the way I treated my day to day and living for it, I guess, really, that was, that was everything now. Everything I, I did revolved around how can I be most effective with my time to be the best cyclist I can be. Incredible. Did it change your relationship with sport at all? Your relationship with riding? My relationship with the sport is always, I mean, I'm a very passionate person. So depending on what the thing is that I decide to put my time into, I sort of go all in on it. And I don't really like to look at something and think, yeah, I could, I could do this at 75% and I could do this other thing at 25% and get away with it. I'm like, hey, if I'm, if I'm in, if I'm your person, then I'm going to give 100% of myself. And it might not be the best thing, I might not be the best in the world, but I will be giving you the most amount of me because that's how I'd want someone to either work for me or to, to that I would interact with someone. I'd want them to be that way towards me. So yeah, I mean, I gave 100% of myself and what I did was, was what I got. I have no regrets from everything that I put into the sport at this point. It's so awesome. It's really cool to be able to connect with you in such a raw way in the first year of your retirement after such a highly decorated career and to hear you in such a positive light because that's not how everyone retires. Mm. And before we get to retirement, I want to go back to this yes, no. And I love the fact that you said yes to recording on any podcast. And if it was anybody's first podcast or a large podcast, I'm going to include in the show notes, a few of my favorite podcasts actually that I was stalking you on before this one. I think they're really enlightening and it's, it's just super cool to hear the different directions that people want to go with you and ask you questions. But that's relevant to you in terms of what you say yes and no to. And be it during your time when you were racing and now, how have you gone about making decisions? You don't say yes to everything now. We had an awesome conversation about this while riding that you don't say yes anymore all the time. But what, what did it take for you to put up those boundaries or to make better distinctions? Because I think the power of yes and no. I always say that yes is the most expensive word in our vocabulary. <laughs> 
Uh, therapy is the answer to that, not to be cliche at all. But yeah, I, I once had a, a woman that I worked with. She was very old. Um, she was really sweet. And I think there was a moment when I was in the peak of my career that I was looking for someone to be able to, yeah, a lot of people around you, this is a little bit of a pun or a little bit of a, a flip on words, but when you're good, you can have people around you that say yes. Uh, so you can have yes men around you. You can also be a yes man. And I never wanted to just be a yes man. I wanted to be again, passionate about the things that I said yes to and not, you know, I don't know if I can curse, but beep it out. I didn't want to be half-assed on anything that I was a part of. And so I also wanted someone to be able to tell me and give me an examination of how I was living. So I remember I was at a place when my career did launch and I had a lot of sponsorships and I was winning often, you know, the increase in desire to have me at an event or to be able to promote me or to bring me to do something else was always full gas. And I eventually did get a manager. I got like an agent and someone that could help me because some days we would have so much incoming and so many opportunities that how could you, how can one person deal with this? It's just smart business to have someone that helps you sift through these things. But I said, I said to myself, if it doesn't, if I don't want to do something or it doesn't bring me a financial return that's significant, then I say no. And I know that sounds really like kind of probably a little bizarre from what I've said before, but there was a time when I said yes to everything like that podcast. That doesn't necessarily... I have time at my home and I can take 30 to, to 50 minutes to do a podcast with someone. But if someone asks me to spend three days with them, but I can't, how could I do that? I can't do that if I'm not being paid to do it. And so the things that I would want to do from a passion side, like, hey, I want to go and support this event in nowhere, Kansas, but I can't because I, I can't physically be on the road, you know, 90 days a year doing free events. And so it became more of a, it became more of a business and I had to make you know, decisions about what I would spend time with. And I also had to say yes, that I felt very passionately about doing it. And so, yeah, I mean, that might sound, like I said, a little weird and it is a little weird because it doesn't totally match my ethos. But at the end of the day, you do have to divide and conquer. And I felt like I made as much time as I could and I'd always be the last person at events. And I'd say yes to anything that I possibly could do that wouldn't take away from the end goal, which was being the best cyclist that I could be. So I overextended, but I didn't go as far as I did when I was in my young part of my career because like I said, I just never missed an opportunity. Yeah. So here you are on the other side. And, and I'd like to just reframe that like cycling age and human age might be a little bit different. You're still very young and perfectly vivacious and you have so much life left. But I get that as a cyclist being 36 years old, are you 36, year? Yeah. Like it might feel old and you're, you're you know, you've retired because that chapter <laughs> is now closed. <laughs> Yet with all of the vivaciousness and lessons and, of course, the lifetime of learning, how, how do you powerfully make decisions now? You know, I'm, now it's a lot different. I can choose to take some time for myself, and I do. I do take time. And I make a lot of decisions based, again, on what I feel like is most relevant, most important to me. You know, we have a nonprofit here called the Jam Fund. So I'll put time into that. I'll put time into a rider that asks me for coaching or for some help there. I'll try to take time away. A lot of my time is dedicated to helping play sports and the Global Cycling Network create cool content, right? That's my job. I'm making sure that I spend all of my strong hours of my day really pushing towards being creative, creating good content that people can share and, and live through and hopefully be motivated to go out and do the thing that I really love, which is riding and, and cycling. I think that, you know, if I say yes to something now, it's with a little bit of, it's just the 36 year old version of saying yes to something, right? It's like, well, why don't you tell me more about what's going on and how could I be helped to you? Because sometimes people ask for something thinking that 
if I show up to an event or, you know, you show up to an event, someone shows up to an event, that it, that it makes the event. And that's not necessarily true. Like, well, what are you trying to accomplish with me being there? Like, would it be best if I come in actually just on Friday night before the event and do a talk with you for an hour? Because that might be most beneficial. That would be a real valuable thing to, sounds like, to the people that you're asking to come to your event. But a lot of times, you know, at this point, I might not need to be there. We might be able to just hop on a Zoom and I might be able to just do a, a small speech with you. And, and, that's, and that's beautiful too. And you can have 10 Jeremy Powers or 10 athletes hop in on that Zoom call and, and be able to kind of meet that, uh, that expectation that you have. So there's just, I ask more questions before I say yes to something now. And I think it's just the more mature version of a of a crazy ADD uh, kid from Connecticut. Amazing. I love it. And I think it's super relevant because learning how people make decisions, learning the questions that we ask, I mean, it's what creates our days. It's what creates our calendars and the notion of feeling busy or not having enough time. I'm really obsessed with how athletes choose to spend their time. And I'm I'm really obsessed with the notion of I mean, it might be controversial. You need to be selfish as an athlete, undeniably. And then how does that translate to not being an asshole in the world? Because yeah. you don't intend to be an asshole. You just, as you said, you need to be a hundred, you needed to be a hundred percent in to be the cyclist that you wanted to be. And that, that comes with making decisions. Now, how much do you love riding your bike now? Yeah, I'm, I'm riding at least at least 10 hours a week on the weekends I try to get a couple hours in if I have a, a lower slower day or if I've worked on a weekend um, like if I've commentated in the morning or I've done some work on the weekend at an event the beautiful thing about GCN is we get to ride a lot for sometimes for an event whether we're racing something like what we did with you or we're riding I get to ride a lot so sometimes it can be up to yeah 20 hours a week but I I do try to go out for an hour every day at least but you know there's more days where I don't I will say this 100% honestly, I do not miss racing or riding for six hours a day. So for me, I could take it or leave it. I love going out, riding for three hours, feeling like I got to work out. And truly for me, it's the, that's like the meditative part of it. I just listen to music and kind of just do my own thing. I do stare at the power meter because I love I love numbers. I've always loved that part of it. And um, I love seeing like where I am in comparison to where I was. And uh yeah, it's just a different, it's just a different thing because there's, <laughs> there's nothing that I'm working towards. It's not like, man, if I don't, if I don't hit 300 watts, like this is, this is a waste of a day kind of thing. Like it's, it's much more fulfilling for me and I can take it or leave it and I get it in. Yeah. When, when it's, when time is there, not as the priority of the way my day is structured around. Right. Which is incredible because you've spent so many hours on a bike and it's not hard to think that you might want some time you know, to not be on a bike, but that's not the case. So that's cool to hear, which may imply that you chose the perfect time to retire. Does that feel accurate? Yes. I, again, I mean, I talked to a lot of people about retiring. I spent a lot of time thinking about retirement because I, I think one of the things that I see so much is that you being the, the very passionate person, and if you have that type of mentality, right, you do give everything. And, and it's like a relationship, right? If you are in a deep and long relationship and then you, you break up or something happens to that person or vice versa, you, you lose a little bit of yourself, right? Even with an animal, you, you get become so attached to it. And it's the same with cycling, you know, you, you or any sport or anything that you give a lot of yourself to, you lose a little bit of it when you leave and, it's, and it hurts. And so I think for me, I went so far down the rabbit hole of being a professional athlete and that lifestyle. And I gave up a lot of things or at that time, it maybe didn't feel like it, 
because I was again all in. But you know, there were festivals or parties or things that I didn't go to that I wish that I had been able to go to when I was younger, but I didn't because I really wanted this thing and I picked it and that was the thing I was going 100% on. So it didn't feel like or maybe it did feel like subconsciously a small sacrifice to give. So now it's like, yeah, is it, was it, uh, I don't know. Was it, was it a sacrifice? Was it not a sacrifice? It's really, I don't know. I, hopefully that made sense. It doesn't. Yeah. yeah it's that, it's that I did all those things and now we're retired and I feel like there's a lot more life to live. So now that I'm retired, it's like, okay, we're retired. There's a lot more life to live. There's other things to do. I prepared as best as I could for it. And I stepped away from it at the right time. You know, if I had felt like, if I had felt like there was more to give, or if I had felt like I didn't do something that I should have been able to do, like win a national title, then I think I would have had that anger or that angst, like continue to grind this thing that I wanted to get so bad, but I couldn't, but I genuinely did everything that I could And there was nothing left for me. There was no better sponsor to get. There was no race that I hadn't felt like I should have won. I had checked a lot of boxes. And I think I found deep down that I constantly was trying to reinvent something that I had already fulfilled. And my body really was telling me that it was time to retire from a physical standpoint and from a mental standpoint, even more so the push pull that I had mentally to be out there, time away from family and just kind of continuing to push, push aside like, my family relationships and things like that to just be in this, like as a pro athlete, it was all time. It was time for me to stop. Yeah. Fair. Well, the beautiful thing, and I mean, we obviously hear your passion. We know your, your, your passion for, for the sport and for life. And the problem with being so passionate is that you're excited. You can be rather excited about many different things. And it sounds like in fact that you have had other passions in life, be it DJing, your family, obviously, I see your dog all over the gram. (laughs) (laughs) And, and big or small, large scale or not for you. I'm curious what your next version, what are the boxes in life that matter for you now, Jer? You do have to reinvent a little bit after sport. I was so, so lucky to be able to get this opportunity with Global Cycling Network. So that for me was, it was really special. I feel very lucky to have landed at a place that is allowed me to stay in a similar uh, lane and to continue to develop content that I feel really passionate about. It's something that I did while I was racing. While I was racing, I owned multiple businesses. I bought things. I sold things. I made investments. Like I was not just a bike racer ever. I always tried to continue to educate myself and to chase things that I was passionate about. Do I wish that I got to play at Coachella or some huge festival (laughs) as a DJ? Sure, I do. But I also know what that meant, right? That meant that I would need to be on my feet a ton. I probably would need to drink a lot more alcohol. I probably have had to do some recreational drugs, none of which I'm into. So it's like, there's a little bit of things. Not to say that every DJ does those things. I'm just saying that like, there's certain things that I'm okay with letting slip that I, I probably have a lot of passion for. And I could have taken that passion and that energy and that dedication to something and really done something with it. But I also am okay to just be a fan of things. I'm a fan of a ton of things. I'm a fan of cool cars. I'm a fan of like normal stuff that everyone else is. I love music. It's been a huge thing for me. I also love having a passion for it and not having to make it a job, which is what I did with my racing. I took a passion and I made it my job. I just love listening and playing music and I like doing stuff with it, but I, I don't ever think that I have to make it a job. And so there are so many things that I'm passionate about, but I look at them a lot differently now as like, hey, I'm a cyclist or an analyst of cycling or a media of cycling now. 
and I can have things that I do that don't revolve around, yeah, having to be my job or a way that I earn income from it to make my world turn each day. Yeah, fair. Okay. <laughs> um, but the juicy question was, I wanted to know what boxes were left for you to tick. Yeah. Truly, there's not anything like I don't I don't subscribe to the fame monster. I'm not like a likes like I I don't change who I am to to replicate. So, you know, the thing that I'm doing now is growing an audience for GCN. I'm I'm helping them create compelling content and the stuff that I've been doing is closing a lot of loops. So, I get to see people that I raced against and what they're doing now in their lives. Um and I think for me, that brings me a lot of closure. Like, yeah, not because I didn't have it before, but now that I get to go spend a day with Niels Albert, who's multiple time world champion at his business in Belgium, or I get to spend a day with Sven Nice, who is also multiple time world champ, a guy that I raced against and see them and their passion for the sport still and contribute to it in that way. It brings me a lot of closure to know that those riders still are just people because we did battle every single time we met. And I think that I looked at them as, yeah, as, as just a, as different people. And they really, it gives me a lot of depth to be able to look at it. And so what, what things do I have now is really, I want to be a good person to, to the people that I work for because I'm not self-employed anymore. I'm employed. So I checked one of those boxes. One of the things that I promised once I stopped racing was that I would at least try one year working for someone else uh, before <laughs> I started something else. So I've checked that box. I want to spend a lot of time with my son and with my family because that was something that I was unable to be present for when I was racing. Everyone was always on my schedule and on my terms. So I've been trying to be able to be better in that way where I'm, I spend, you know, the time that I have with my son, like dedicated, you know, I just sit there, we just play and I'm not on my phone. I'm not doing things. So I'm not doing, I'm not doing anything else except for just that one thing. And, you know, I'm, <laughs> From a personal side, like I've been doing a lot of home improvement projects and fixing up the house and doing things like that because that's something that I could never do because I couldn't be on my feet. I couldn't even like take care of the yard. We had to pay someone because it all felt like, well, if I'm breathing in the dust, that's not good for this. And if I'm on my feet doing this, then it's not good for that. Like all these things sort of always had to go towards being the best professional cyclist and just dropping the type A BS and just being a regular person has been, is a huge box that I needed to check off. Dude, that's big. <laughs> <laughs> it's big time to think that you can take, you know, a triple A type and become just an A type. Right. Um, I don't think that you can move from that. <laughs> but you're yeah. Still, you're still an A type, my friend. I know, I, I know, I know, but I strive. I strive. It's weird. I, I didn't say this one, but like drinking a, a beer or or a uh, a glass of wine is actually like a big checkbox for me just to be able to like finish the day or feel okay about just having like a drink after work that sounds so crazy but like i was very you know i just i didn't want to do anything that kind of went against and it's not you would never i don't uh, maybe you would but i was not like that like i just it didn't mean anything to me it didn't I didn't care whether it was there or not. It was just, yeah, the thing that wouldn't be good for my riding. And so I'm not doing that. But now it's like almost a challenge <laughs> to be able to reintroduce those things. So my mom comes to the house and she's like, I have some wine. And I'm like, fantastic. Let's, <laughs> let's drink some of it. <laughs> Great, mom. I won't have my bubbly water. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really appreciate the... And, and of course, admire the work you did with Ellen and females and your relationship with females in sport. I, I want to know what you think the landscape looks like 
I'm changing gears slightly because I told you we were on the clock and I'm going over time because I, I really wanted to hit on this and hit on, you know, you're, you're speaking with athletes all the time and you're still in the scene, of course. What, what are your thoughts on the future of female in sport and what do you think is required on the quest for more equity, gender equity, dare I say? Sure. Yeah, big question. There's a lot there. So I'll start with working with Ellen was great. She's a friend and it's like a, you know, proud papa. Like she's learned a lot from being in this area, working with myself and her coach, Alec Donahue. You know, she has a lot of great people in her circle and I feel very uh, lucky to be one of those people that she chose to be able to speak with her and, and work with her as a, as a friend and also as an athlete. So working with her, she was signed to my team, uh, which was called Aspire Racing for two years. And and we were able to work together. We achieved some really great things. She got second at the world championships. She was the world cup leader. So we spent some really, really beautiful times just, you know, like as from a career standpoint, uh, boxes that I couldn't check that she checked off for me and my sponsors that I just was like so enamored with. I mean, it was, it was fantastic. And I think right now, at least in cyclocross, the women's scene is, is doing great. Women are making a lot of monetary, you know, like monetarily speaking, women are doing really well. There's a lot of sponsorships. There's a lot of momentum in cyclocross, even more so than road racing. I'm sure still the biggest contracts for women are in road racing, but the cyclocross women across the board, the top 15, 20 riders are all making a really good living from racing. And the prize money has come up and the amount of attention and the amount of publicity and live coverage that exists, it's almost status quo in cyclocross. And that to me, means that we're we're going in the right direction that doesn't mean that we stop we continue to push and then the second part of your question is like i see women's cyclocross as a new like almost like a it's like well i've got this thing going on over here i've got these let's just say investments going on over here but i'm going to try this holy this whole different thing that's going on over here and it's just another way to bring people into the sport to be able to get them excited about racing and to be able to kind of kick down some like bs barriers or bunny hop the patriarchy or yeah any of that is all real i think that there is a lot of like stigma behind women racing and uh, that it's not compelling or it's not this which has just been completely torn up and thrown out the window i think the women's racing in my opinion is is more fascinating it's a different style of racing the technique is different and the way that they race is is actually quite different than the men the men are like really punchy and just straight out of the corners and the women's racing is just like it's just so much different so i i uh i like it i love commentating on it i love watching it grow and i love being able to give an opportunity to Ellen and open a door for her to turn professional with our program because it was a little bit like she had jumped out of our nonprofit nest and into the pro team structure. And to be able to just work with her on that throughout the years, I felt like was really special for me. And it was something that I, yeah, I'm very proud of being able to just have been able to leverage my sponsors to help that way and to give her that opportunity. I, I feel a lot of personally, I feel a lot of pride, not taking any pride from her, hopefully that came across. No, no, but no. for me, I was so happy to be able to to share that with her. It's it's incredible, and I really appreciate your perspective because you've seen it both in your work with Ellen and supporting a female. You now see it from the media side, which is like the the largest side of you know the the equation when it comes to gender equity is how do women get more media coverage? And to just hear from your perspective that the racing is in fact fun and it can be different and it's still very cool and 
and that prize purses are equal and just leveling the playing field is something that I'm super passionate about. And I love hearing from the source how yeah perspective of it. So yeah. And I think too, that the training and the trainers and the people that are training the athletes, the women's side, it used to be always like men, trainers, coaching, you know, that they've worked with big men and now they're working with women and women have different physiology. And so that's like a whole nother probably pull podcast. But I think that we're starting to get to that place where coaches understand women and women's needs, which is why we're seeing such big gains and such big increases in fitness and level and like record-breaking world-level riders because I think that the races are starting to be really tuned and the training is starting to be tuned more and more. And so it just feels like a, a great place to be in that, that 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 trajectory is just continuing to just blast upwards. Whereas maybe the men's side is more like, yeah, that's status quo and it's still awesome. But the women's stuff is just going straight through the roof. Wow, so cool. I hope that's uh, indicative of the rest of the world. I hope it's a bit of a small snapshot into other areas and especially in sport. I mean, you're so spot on that the more we learn about the female physiology, the greater gains that females are making. And that's really fun. So yeah, so cool. Okay. I have three questions that I am dying to know. And then I want to play this or that. Is that okay? Okay. Right. Three questions. Current book that you're reading. None. Okay. Not a book reader, eh? Got it. (laughs) Your favorite podcast to listen to? Uh, how this was built. Mm, do you have a favorite episode? I love the episode with with the founder of of Burton Snowboards. Check See? that out. In the, check that out in the notes. It's how I built this with Guy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Got it. Love it. You're all over the gram. Snow secret. Follow your stories. You'll see where you are and your dog. But do you have a favorite Instagram account that you follow? Oh man, jeez. I mean, I really like. <laughs> I really think Kate Courtney does a great job on her Instagram. I have to say that I think she does a great job with her fans. I think she puts, she's got her own style. I love, I follow a ton of people. I don't know, weirdly, like I know Kate, but I like her. I like her Instagram. Um, Hopefully that doesn't seem weird for anyone. I just think that she does a great job with it. So yeah, I would say Kate Courtney does it from a cycling standpoint. Yeah. Awesome. Because you're not reading a book, I want to know one or two people dead or alive that you'd want to have dinner with. Mm. immediately that's dj am uh that would be one person and i don't know i actually don't know a second one but that's the one that i think of off the top of my head okay now we're going fast okay i'm ready first answer that comes to mind is the only thing we need to hear ready okay dog or cat dog netflix or youtube netflix phone call or text text music or podcast music form or function form pop or indie pop big party small gathering big party Hmm. work hard or play hard work hard what's worse laundry or dishes uh they both are terrible laundry (laughs) (laughs) bath or shower uh shower i thought you might say bath so that you were not on your legs yeah yeah it's showers faster (laughs) sneakers or sandals Sneakers. Passenger or driver? Depends on who I'm driving with. If I'm with my mom, I'm driving. (laughs) (laughs) Driving. I'm in more control. Type A. Let's play it. Email or letter? Email. Most important in a partner, intelligence or funny? Intelligence. Car or truck? Truck. Money or free time? Free time. Coke or Red Bull? Coke. 
I'm going to interrupt this game. Are you allowed to tell us what was in your bottle? Noon. <laughs> oh, well played. <laughs> Coffee yeah. cup, paper cup, or thermos? Paper cup. Oh, you hurt my mother earth heart. I know, but I have, yeah. Anyway, I'm just portable. I'm always on the go. If I have something, it just, but yes, I love thermos too, but I had to say it, when we were on the road, a lot of paper cups, papers, that's like the most renewable. Can if you we, had said plastic, I would have said paper. Paper. But can we also acknowledge that you don't drink coffee? I don't drink coffee. So when we were recording in Vancouver and we were caught <laughs> in the morning scene drinking coffee, do you realize people called you out and said, but you don't drink coffee? <laughs> you know, <laughs> these things happen. These things happen. And <laughs> it's an unfortunate reality of living in a public eye. I, uh, I, it's not that I don't drink coffee. I do not drink much coffee and I don't drink it regularly, but I do, if I like, if I'm in Italy, I will have a single shot of espresso after a meal. That's like, that is no question. If I'm out and about and I'm like feeling really low and I've had a long day, I will have like a half of a cold brew or something like that. I do drink decaf coffee. It's really caffeine just makes my mind rip as you can tell it already does. So the caffeine is the, is actually the thing. I still love coffee. I just, I just don't deal with it super well when I have a lot of it. Yeah. It's awesome because before this podcast, you were like, I, I've just had six cups of coffee. And I was like, no, you haven't. I know you haven't had six cups of coffee. Um, <laughs> train or plain, my friend? Plain. Plain. Sweet or salty? Sweet. Mm, meat or vegetables? Um, I eat a lot of both of them. I eat so much food. Uh, vegetables? <laughs> oh, gosh. There's no right answer. You could have said both. Yeah, both. <laughs> Jeremy, we have to wrap. I hate it when we come to the end, but as you know, we wrap every podcast with one question, and that is, what is currently making your heart beat faster? Oh, that is a, that's a big question. What is making my heart beat faster? Just my new chapter, you know, just to be able to, yeah, it's not like jumping on a trampoline and doing like a triple backflip, <laughs> making my heart rate beat faster. I think it's, I think I wake up every morning and I just, I, I like am excited to get out of bed. And as a pro cyclist, I'm, I was always tired. You know, I always trained to the absolute maximum and I would wake up and I'd feel pretty beat down. And I just, I always felt like it was uh, really, really hard work that I was doing. And it would only be after I'd, you know, let the hard thing that I did marinate to be able to be faster on my bike to then use all that energy up to then be smoked again and to get better. And I just wake up now and I feel like a million dollars when I wake up and when I go to bed and I look forward to every day. And so what makes my heart beat faster? Well, <laughs> not riding my bike a ton because my heart rate's not super beat down, but just being excited about my life and the new opportunities that I have at 36 years old to just be a regular person and, and crush every day best that I can, I think is, is my general state of excitement oh gosh i <laughs> i hope we can all get that excited to wake up every day and not have to race a bike for 20 years before we appreciate that waking <laughs> up is, is a good thing <laughs> thank you okay we are so over time i am sorry for taking up so much time that's what canadians say sorry yet i'm incredibly grateful and yeah heck we spent a day in vancouver which was super fun and i knew there was so much more to talk about and we're out of time but you're rad and thank you for jumping on here and talking about things you probably talk about all the time i'm just grateful that i got a chance to record them with you well, and I thank you so much again for your time, uh, for showing us around Vancouver, for the opportunity to be your friend and get 
to meet you. And it was just a really nice, I'm glad that, uh, yeah, that I could share the time with you and give you some insight into my world. We will include tons of notes below and follow you and continue to see the journey unravel of the chapters that come on the other side of retirement. And GCN is lucky to have you here in North America. That's for sure. Thank you so much. Have a great day. All right. Thank you.